Hello, my friends. Welcome back to The Conversation, The Naked Leadership Podcast. My name is Chad. In this episode, I'm joined by Dan and Adrian, and we're talking about waiting for the world to change. As we're in this time of unrest, both economically and civilly, there's a lot of leaders and companies who are waiting, watching to see what happens, and things are changing rapidly, and it seems as though we can't predict what's going to happen. And we dive deep into lots of ways of thinking about change and circumstances and navigating those circumstances. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Before we get before we jump in, I want to tell you we've released a new tool for founders. You can find it at frustratedfounder.com. This is a five-day course to help you kill any frustration that you're dealing with in your organization and with your leadership at the current moment. It's taught by Adrian and it's beautifully laid out, very, very simple. All you need is 12 minutes a day to get this thing done for the next five days. And uh, we're very proud of it. You can go, it's absolutely free right now due to the circumstances of the market. And you can go to frustratedfounder.com, check that out, and we'll see you on that side. Now enjoy the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Conversation Naked Leadership Podcast. This is Chad. With me is Adrian and Dan. How are you, gentlemen? Hey, doing good. So this week, we're going to dive into a conversation that I think is very relevant at the time that we're recording this. We're recording this in what looks to be the second wave of the coronavirus. The, the tidal wave. We should... <laughs> We should name this one, the tsunami, possibly. Um, and the reason that this topic came to mind is because I've been making an observation about uh, possibly what I'm making up, I guess, about where a lot of companies and teams are, people that I'm talking to, leaders, is that the first wave of this pandemic hit. And it a lot of it looked like, well, let's just wait and see what happens. And then everything started to look like it was going to lighten up a little bit. Things are opening up. And then we have this second tidal wave coming back. So what's going to happen now? Are our businesses and leaders going to continue to wait to see what happens? Or are we going to adapt? Are we going to take advantage of the opportunity, wake up and and start to create new realities. And that's that's really what I wanted to talk to both of you about. How do we do this? And, and you know, often I hear both of you talk often about crossroads. Mm-hmm. And I feel like at this moment for a lot of businesses, a lot of teams, a lot of leaders, this is a crossroads. Um, and so I'd love to just create some context around the conversation. What does it mean when you two talk about being at a crossroads, and I've I've adopted the language in my working with clients as well, I think it's really powerful. But I'd love to just kind of get some ideas on the table of what it is that we're talking about when we talk about being at a crossroads. Abe, you want to go first? Sure. Well, I mean, a handful of thoughts hit me first. First off, I mean, when are we really, I mean, I'm not sure when we're really at a specific crossroads, but definitely we have the experience of being at a crossroads, like where it seems like we've got a decision to make and it's either this or that. Um, And that might not be true. And usually when our work with clients is seeing what else is also possible besides such a binary choice, you know, sometimes the, the, brain's attempt to simplify actually makes things an either or either it's this one or that one and that in and of itself is some limitation and so you know are, when are we at a crossroads i mean maybe, maybe the, i mean i think naturally crossroads you think of just a couple options usually there are many possibilities that are there um, but the pressure that happens at these types of crossroad experiences usually uh, you know um wants us to simplify things and life isn't that simple. Um, but this is the experience uh, uh, I think that, that leaders feel like uh, that are in, like they're, they're at this pressured uh, pressured place. And usually, I mean, I think one of the main characteristics of being at a crossroads is that you are looking at yourself. You know, you're being challenged, you're feeling the pressure. And if you're a leader, most eyes are on you. And so that's really, I think for some of us, um, the more frightening 
um, aspect of quote unquote being at a crossroads is that, oh, I am forced with uh, feel like I feel like I'm forced with an obligation to choose. And you feel the responsibility and weight of that. And, you know, there's a future usually in one of these paths that you're choosing. And, you know, that, that some of the, you know, the, the, if we just said it was only two options, then, uh, you know, there's a weight around, there's a future in each one. And, you, and usually they're very divergent. And how do you know um, which one will be best for yourself, for your team and for your company? That weight uh, on the shoulders of a leader can sometimes be very isolating. And we don't do exactly what usually is needed when we feel that isolation. So my view of kind of the experience of the crossroads is what I want to get to. Um, I'll pause there for a second, let you guys chime in. But those are my first initial thoughts. Like, what's it like to be at a crossroads? Yeah, I, I, the experience for me is, I think what came to mind is ambivalence, right? I, mm. Which way do I go? I want to go that way and I want to go that way. Which one am I going to choose? And as Adrian said, maybe there's other roads, maybe there's other paths, maybe there's combinations. But I it immediately brought up a couple of friends of mine, <coughs> situations that I've been working with. One of them is um, second wave, right? Even before the second wave, a uh, guy has a nonprofit and he's his, he realizes, well, um, they, they, so the nonprofit is supported by the businesses that they have, right? And the businesses that they have have been deemed non-essential. And so he, after, I guess two or two months, this was a while back, he realizes, well, we, you know, they closed down three of the five businesses and now they've got two left and they're going to close. And so what do I do? He's, you know, like, do I close them? Do I try to stay open? Do I borrow money? Would I've never, you know, like, so there's an ambivalent, there's a situation that represents that, right? Um, and, 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 you know, it's a, it's a tough situation. Another example is a client that um, he's a very high profile guy, really made some bad, poor choices, really poor choices in his marriage. And he's got a family that's estranged from him now. And his loving daughter, the daughter he loves, you know, he's really close to, doesn't want to talk to him. And he's like, well, should I re out, reach out to her or should I not? Should I, you know? So again, you know, discussing the ambivalence and talking about the situation, really getting connected to why, you know, like what what is the situation is key. I mean, I think calibrating current reality in that kind of situation is most important because there might be, if I'm so caught up in the, either or, I might not be stepping back to go, what else is there going on here that I may not be looking at because I'm so urgent or maybe even survivally about making the choice. And I think that's probably one of the most difficult disciplines of all. I, I think that's the value of meditating is to be able to step back and think and then maybe invite somebody else in and, and, and listen to their perspective you know, as they get connected to the situation, you know, what do they see that I don't see like that? So I think the ambivalence is the experience, the sense of ambivalence, stuck at the why in the road. Yeah. Yeah, to me, what keeps coming up for me, just the thought is like the crossroads is life offering us opportunities to commit to something. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or to recommit to something. Or, or recommit to something. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought it was, Adrian, I thought it was really interesting as you talked about, like, am I at a crossroads or am I not at a crossroads? Is there is there ever a time in life or business that we're not? Right? Because we always have options. Well, we and we always have, I mean, none of that makes, all that comes into view because we have a commitment, right? There's right. something we want more than something else. And the minute that happens, you have a hierarchy of concerns, right? You, some concerns are more important than other concerns, right? Like if you have a family and you want to make sure they're they're safe and healthy and growing, et cetera, then there are, you know, anything that could potentially intervene in that or hurt them or distract them or, right? Or at least you perceive it to be 
now you have a crossroads. How do we deal with that? Right now you have a crisis, if you will. The crossroads is like a crisis. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a uh, an upset in the system, or or even something just you know that causes you to look over here outside of what maybe you've already committed to, or uh, what what you're continuing to do. So it's interesting. Like as I think about again back to how I opened the conversation, I think about leaders who are lying, waiting to see what happens. Um, it's there's a hesitation to commit to something that may not be necessary, possibly. Or maybe dangerous. Or Adrian, I was thinking about our conversation yesterday with our client. Um, they're a fairly, really successful company and they're on the verge of being bought out. And they're, the, the couple, one wants to, was at the point like, yes, let's do this. And the other one's, well, wait a minute, there's a lot more available. And I don't know if I want to do this. And and um, is this the wisest thing to do? And and it was really it's very a com- it's a very complex situation. So I think as they slowed down and looked at all the different like each of each other's point of view, and then as you said, took into consideration the potential futures. It started to weigh, I think, weigh the prices and rewards of those potential futures. It's funny because we were gonna get we spent a half hour on the phone with them and then they were they were still really weren't landed at all and so we said let's get on we have a call so we both had a call and we said let's get on in an hour so we get getting ready to go we do our calls we're getting ready to go back on in an hour and they pinged us and we landed right but I know that in the process we had stopped the conversation enough or slowed it down and they could hear each other enough and one of the things we brought up is you know how about your relationship going forward you know. If you don't come together in this, you know, and really one of them spoke up and said, yeah, I don't want this to be used against me for the next 40 years in our relationship. But that would be, and that was true for both of them. They start, So I think that really, when we got off, that started to bring some sobriety into this. Like what future are we going to have if we don't come into agreement and, you know, you know, uh, willingly, you know, what, what is it that, what, what are we going to have? And just that conversation opens up a lot, but being able to slow down and hear the different perspectives, it's a big deal rather than cancel the other person out, you know? Right. I mean, there's a, I think there's such a tendency to get really myopic and in, in, in the midst of crisis, you and know, narrow, very narrow, yeah. very, very narrow. And we stop listening. And usually we stop. And if, if, if you're not with people that you've vetted and you've been with for a good while and know kind of their tendencies and know what really what they're committed to, that lack of foundation, I think in the relationship, well, well, you'll think you'll think like you need to not listen to them because you don't have that you know established trust, you know, where you you know what they're committed to and you know they're committed to you and you're committed to the same vision. Now that might be seen as a problem. I think that's usually one of the benefits of being at the crossroads. The benefits of being in crisis is it reveals the relationships. It reveals the what's happening on the team and what's what you know what's happening between the ears of the team members. Like you know, a crisis is a major invitation for people to show up and usually get to see who are the game time players in the midst of crisis. You get to see who are just the sideliners, um, and people are revealed. Just like you know, it's one. It's just one of those pressurized environments. Um, that's one of the benefits of it. And if you're the leader and I mean, as you were talking earlier, Chad, I think it's worthy. To, I mean, being cautious at, at, at a crossroads, you know, is can sometimes be uh, really wise. Um, be, uh, if you're looking for caution and you're choosing to act, you're choosing to act in a way that seems like avoidance, that's going to cost you. Yeah, pay like now, pay later, penalties and interest. Yeah, like be vocally cautious. Otherwise, I'm just thinking about on a team. There are people that aren't as cautious as you on your team. There are people that are more that aren't as risk adverse as adverse as you on your team potentially. And if you can't put in a language about what you're up to, what seems like silence or seems like ambivalence or seems like indifference or seems like disconnection, if you don't put the language what you're up to, they are going to cause trouble. Yeah. In the absence, in a void, 
somebody's going to fill it. In the that's absence right. of leadership, somebody's going to lead. And, um, you know, that's going to happen no matter what. It's, it's interesting because I was thinking about a client I had years ago who had was divorcing his wife, had a big business. They were going to split it up, the assets. Had a girlfriend he was in love with. She wanted to marry him. He was not quite divorced. And he was still ambivalent with the divorce papers in front of him. If I signed this, do I want to? And as we explored it, uh, he, he started to see that the, he didn't want to sign the papers because he didn't. He initially said, I don't want the upset of having to sell my house and so on and so forth. And I said, so do you have to sell your house? Because I remember him telling me he had already paid the house off. I said, do you really have to sell the house or is there, could you take a loan out? And we just started about expanding the possibilities. But as we expanded the possibilities and he saw that he really didn't, that, that this, 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 what he thought was a lever, like he would, was a problem. He started, when that was taken away, he still couldn't decide if he wanted to sign the papers, hmm. which was opened up this whole conversation about his ex-wife and, and, uh, and we dropped down and, and it's interesting because his decision was to go back with his ex-wife and reconcile the relationship because we discovered something in that discussion that he was afraid she couldn't handle. And so he had never told her. And it was, you know, you know what I mean? So he thought he had to leave and this didn't come to light until we just explored why he thought he was at this crossroads and why you know, like he thought he didn't want to sell it because he, and he was feeling bad about himself because he didn't want to just stay with her because of the business, because of money. You know, and and but he realized that was a real trouble and troublesome to him. And then when we took that trouble away, what he realized was there's something behind that. There was other things to talk about. And I, I don't know how often we're we take the time to think about what's actually driving us. You know, I, I know I often think something's driving me, but it very often it's the symptom, not the not really what the cause of the drive is. And and so in getting language on that can clear up, help clear up a conversation, right? It wasn't, but this guy was in this process for a good six months. And after that discussion, it wasn't but two weeks later, he had decided hmm. what he was going to do. And either way was, I was just, want, I wanted him to make a decision because he, he actually said, if I don't make a decision, I have a feeling it's going to be made for me and it won't be optimal. It won't be what I really want. Yeah. <laughs> I'm stuck with less than what's possible, right? Mm -hmm. He came up with that just... That came out of the natural just discussion, right? Well, and that's very relatable, I think, to a lot of leaders, business owners, CEO, founders right now that are, I mean, they may be waiting for things to change or, or holding back and slowing down to see how things play out. However, if they don't make a decision, the decision might be made for them. Yeah. And, and the point is, if I decide how I'm going, I want it to be then that puts a context on the circumstances. If I don't, then I'm now going to be at effect of the circumstances. I'm on my heels. I'm reacting to what's happening to me. So, but it takes some courage. It takes some, you know, because, you know, as we talked about before, Anne Lamott's little quote, you know, reality is unforgivingly complex. So, you know, I think you get more confidence about the decisions you make in the, in the asymmetries that are involved when we slow down to really be clear about what we're facing, really get deep into what is the problem. Am I really looking at the problem or am I stuck over here in a symptom? Right. And, and do the people, have I tr worked with the people I'm with? Have I trained them in a way to be with me in a way that we can do that? That's, that's where I wanted to go next and that you led into really nicely is circumstance you you often say uh what's your what's your saying a person with a vision can't be held hostage by a circumstance yeah say that again sorry i was talking over you uh, a a human being with a vision will not be held hostage by circumstance or history really yeah so great that's empowering that's uh i've i have found a lot of uh, motivation through that. Now, uh, <laughs> how does this actually play out? At what points, I mean, because there are plenty of 
of leaders out there that are saying the circumstances that they are now facing, that they could have never, and that's the tricky thing about circumstances, right? We can never predict them. No. Um, right. And so how there's going to be, I know there, there are leaders either listening to this um, or that I have worked with personally that are saying, Hey, the circumstances are dictating the action. Yeah. And, and well then, you know, that's a tough situation, right? Because mm-hmm. um, now I'm going to be victimized by the circumstances. Right. And then, you know, one's got to really think about that because that's a benefit. I'm victimized. If I'm standing as a, an effect of the circumstance, I don't care what it is. Then my way of being in the world will be oppressive. I'll be oppressed. I'll come across despairing because in my mind, I have no other choice but what I've decided, you know, but whatever I've decided, the circumstances are going to dish up to me. And so I'm going to get resentful. I'm going to be angry. I'm not going to, I'm, you know, I'm going to be uh, contentious, probably um, stingy because there's not enough to go around. And, and so that's a very different way of being in the world. In fact, neurologically, chemically, you're a different person when you're in that mindset. This is not an opinion. This is a fact, right? That when I'm at effect, when I am reacting to, which means when I'm in defense, when I'm in survival, my, I'm, you know, kind of, I can't even say it. There's all these hormones that are operating, that are putting me, that are changing my body chemistry. And my neocortex shuts down, which is my ability to be creative and, and, and execute on plans. And I'm going to start reacting to the natural mechanisms that defend me and have worked out in other situations. And so now I'm going to reproduce another version of what I say I don't want. So that's that's kind of the re, that's kind of the reality of that situation. Yeah. See? Whenever we're in those situations, um, I see that a lot. I see that a lot where like something's happened. And then now, um, well, let me just say from the other from the other side, usually I get resistant to circumstances and then blame my blame the experiences for that. that, uh, Sorry, I get resistant to circumstances. And then I'm all those things you were just talking about, Dan. And then I blame the circumstance for that versus my resistance to the circumstances themselves. Does that yeah. make sense? That makes sense. Now, yeah. I, I, I discovered this as a kid, right? My mother was a schizophrenic, manic depressive schizophrenic. And, um, you know, I go visit her and pretty soon I became the go-between because she would talk with me. But I remember dreading going to the hospital early in the process. Like, oh, my God, I don't know if I can handle it. You know, you know, I was 12, and it was like, it was, I, I tried to get sick so I wouldn't have to go, but I did want to see my mother. And I'll never forget, I kind of stumbled into this re- realization uh, after about the fifth time I'd been there. And, and these were two-hour visits, right, because you have to go through this whole process. And it wasn't, I look back at it, it wasn't fun, but it was extremely rewarding in the sense that at some point I was sitting there thinking, remembering how much I dreaded this, but when I was sitting there was this peace about being with my mother. It was just like I was starting to connect with her. It was, and it occurred to me that this was, though it was difficult, there was some peace here. Like in just being in the situation the way it was. And I could find ways to get to her the more peaceful I experienced myself with her. I was like, Oh, pretty soon I started looking forward to going because I knew at some point this peace would come over me if I just kept turning me myself into it, not running from it. Like mm. when I first went, I'd go to the bathroom a lot because it was so uncomfortable. And, you know, I, like I, I just didn't want to be around it. And then I started staying longer. Pretty soon I, I stopped going to the bathroom, you know, so often only when I had to go because I could I was really enjoying being with my mother as finding ways to communicate with her I never thought were there. I, and there's so I, could, I write about this in one of my books. But 
Uh, that you know, and, and what the, the saying that Nietzsche has: "What doesn't kill you will make you stronger; will only make you stronger." is so true. And and I think a lot of times we think that if we if we fail somehow, we'll never recover. And I think that's if I have a vision that if I don't give up on the vision, the vision itself will shine light into my vision was to be connected to my mother, to have her come out and, you know, live with us again and to be mom. Right. And every little bit that I saw that was a little bit is encouraging. And, and that light from the future kept going, showing me different opportunities I never thought were there as long as I could stay in it and look at it. And then I, I think that's true for anybody, you know, like anybody who's creative is going to, they stick with the problem in a way that they're, they, they, the only way through to the future is through that problem. How do we get that? How do we handle it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think about the, you know, the, the, the course that we've just put out around helping frustrated founders. I think about yeah. that first step, um, you know, hugging the cactus. That's a part of, you know, I think the, the tension that happens at the crossroads, do you want the tension or do you not want the tension, right? Do you want to be at the crossroads or not? Because there's lots of ways to n- not be at the crossroads when you are. Well, and if you have lived your life elevating your emotions as the highest standard, yeah. then character is going to be, you're going to, you're going to thwart your character because as you know, I know, no life's no fun at times, but but it, it, if you have a big enough meaning, then I'm willing to hold in and and that discomfort isn't what's going to be the primary driver for my existence, my being in the world at that moment. Yeah. The primary driver is is the commitment, the vision, the view, the possibility. And then I can take this discomfort with me and it becomes part of the process and, and useful, you know. Yeah. And I'm thinking about for lots of listeners here, you know, that are driving type personalities, um, you know, they we might if you're a driving type person, you might not think you're that emotional, but you haven't labeled your anger as your emotion or, or your, your frustration your, as your, your frustration, your impatience, your impatience, on, do something right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking about, you know, to get a hold of those conversations and um not to resist and not to be the voice that's just there to escape. And you might, I mean, I, I listen, I, I can avoid, uh, justify avoiding by taking on the mantle of, I like a challenge, you know, like I I'll just choose something and go and sometimes take the hardest road and, and actually pat myself on the back for it. Yeah. Um, instead of, sitting in the uncomfortability of the exploration that's usually needed at these ty- crossroad type experiences. I probably need to hear from people that really I naturally disagree with. And yeah. you know, if you're a leader and you disagree with people, you're probably, you might resist them because you're actually vulnerable to them. They might have some ideas that are, that are the antithesis of your maybe natural instinct that actually might be needed in the midst of the, of the, of the decision time. And you might, I'm, I'm, this all comes about because I'm thinking about what else, if it's not vision, then what else, right? What else, what, like, what else do we ride? Do we follow? Do we submit ourselves to instead of our vision? And a couple things, you pointed out one, which is powerful and I think is really true, which is emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and people will, I mean, urgency is an emotion. Like anxiety is an emotion. Like these are states uh, and experiences we have internally that, that, um, might seem like reality to us, but it's just an emotional um, a state that we're in at the moment. That's one that comes up, came up for me, and I'm glad you brought it up. And um, the other one is, I mean, old-fashioned ego. Yeah. Oh man, we heard that the other day with the client. Yeah. We even yeah. called it out. God bless him. He's so honest. Yeah. yeah you're, you're right. This is this decision I want to make is on ego, and then he was willing to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah. Sustaining oneself. You know the. Um, I'm just, I, I forget, I think I read in somebody, uh, an old friend gave me a book called decision, um, years back. And I remember it wasn't until I read that. And maybe you've talked about this too, Dan, like to decide, you know, the, the second half of that side is the same as homicide and suicide. Like it is death, right? Is it is to make a decision is to, is to say yes to something and to say no to a lot other, other options die when I say yes to this, which is really frightening 
if, if our own personal safety is the number one priority because options feel like safety. Yeah, and FOMO, I, mean, I might miss out on something. Right. That's probably the most common thing. A, I, I'm concerned that I'm gonna miss out on something. So, you know, if I choose this, I'm gonna miss out on that, right? Yeah. And, and that's, it's, but that's really, that's understanding the kind of the metaphysics of choice. <laughs> You're gonna, you choose one thing, you annihilate the others, right? Yep. Yeah, it's interesting, Dan. I, I think about the analogy that you draw on a lot, which I think is so uh, helpful for me as I think about circumstance, is this analogy of of the map versus the compass and the territory, right? What is the, What are the features of the territory? I do a lot of outdoor stuff, a lot of hiking, canyoneering, uh, kayaking, all of that kind of awesome. stuff. Because you're awesome. Because it's just, it just naturally I, awesome. I, I am. <laughs> yeah, man. Someday well, I'll work up. I will, I'll work up to to that. Status. And I and I live in the mecca of it, right? So I'm in Utah, at two and a half hours away from me, three hours away from me. I can go just explore a deep 200, 200 foot deep canyon. But oh. what's interesting is that if I do a canyon and I go back four or five years later, the territory is different. It's very different. It's very different. It's been flooded or, you know, there's there's nests, Things fall animal across. nests yeah. where there weren't before, you know, yeah, rocks fall, all of that kind of stuff. And so um, I think about this idea, like we've, we've thrown around the idea of vision, we've thrown around the idea of circumstance, but it's interesting to think about how what do we do in a moment where the where the territory has changed are we so reliant on the map that we created in the beginning that once the territory is different there's a new obstacle uh there's a, a marker is missing something like that what do we do at that moment which is really the moment that we're at pretty much everybody is at in business and in yeah. leadership right now yeah. it's like okay this isn't the map you designed or had in mind, the territory is different now. Now, what are you going to do? Yeah, it's really good, man. Because if you're not clear about what you're committed to have, then you have no North Star. Mm -hmm. And I talk about that guy who had that, that nonprofit, right? That NGO. And COVID's been really hard on him. And what he decided to do was to shut down the NGO and take the businesses that supported it, break them off and and let the people who were running it that were he was serving own them and then took the the other people who needed help with him to another state where he could actually work and, I, and that took some big guts but he did it and it's worked out really well and he made that decision in about a two-week period where we just i was on my mom's board right and we had this discussion and he had to he had to repatriate his 501c3. I mean, you cannot believe all the different things that he didn't want to do that he saw that all of a sudden were a possibility and all the people that on board and they helped him come to that decision, got on board and did it, right? And otherwise he would have ended up shutting that 501c3 down or in that NGO and the, he, would, he would have a hundred more homeless families, a hundred more homeless families. Instead, none of them are homeless. And he's been able to take the ones who need the most help with him to a state where he can operate. Wow. And and the other ones are running businesses that they've been able to get class, you know, that have been able to be opened up because they're outdoors and work and sustain themselves. So it's really interesting. But his vision to serve this population, to stay in business, not to go broke, but to, how does he do that, forced him. And I think this is what happens. Forced him into doing things he said he'd never do hmm. either that or shut it down because of all the options it was like what do we do you know well i guess i'm gonna i'll find possibility and looking in the area i said i'd never go i don't want to leave the state i you know there's a lot of things he didn't want to do yeah so, you know his, his willingness to do that and then brought him and the courage to do that got everybody else's courage up to look into areas in order to bring the vision forth that they themselves really didn't want to do, but now see as a, it's funny how what you didn't want to do and what you resisted before all of a sudden becomes a possibility. That's transformation, but that, yeah. that's because they had a North star, right? 
Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, and some I'm thinking about, you know, in some ways in crisis, maybe wisdom, sometimes wisdom might be being unfaithful to your old self. Oh, that's great. That's a great. Oh, that's good. Is that good? Well, I mean, like, you know, it's like there's things he said he'd never do. Yeah, no, all, of sudden, all of a sudden in this moment in time, he must be unfaithful to even what his word was or even what his ideas were. Or yeah. even, maybe he spent a whole lot of time saying it's going to be a certain thing. His feelings, then, his preferences. Yeah, yeah. He has to be unfaithful to even how I mean, it's just it's a, I don't know. I'm drawn towards an existential crisis, but it is a thing like, oh, man, now I'm now I'm choosing in a whole I'm going to I'm going to do something that I said I'd never do. Um and embrace something I said I'd never embrace and change something forever. And that that's a tough thing to do. I mean, there's like, there are prices to be paid. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking as well, um, you know, about the territory that shifts. I, I mean, I, in conversations with leaders a lot when, I mean, here's, here's a potential territory shift where, you know, you make a you make a strategic plan. You've got a tactical plan even, and then you walk it down the road. And three months from now, you know, it's three months later, and we're not where we said we'd be. Now, what do you do, right? With the 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 projected terrain isn't what we said it would be. Now, what do you do? Um, and a lot of the conversations we're having with leaders about how to have the exploration of the terrain that you're in, um, because what's typical is that it's not the terrain we said we'd have. So whose head must roll? Uh, like who's, who's get the, you know, who's get the blame? Um, or depending on leadership style, let's act like it never happened. Let's say now this is where we wanted to be. That's yeah. cool. Let's draw the target around where we are now. Right. Yeah. Oh, this is cool. Let's <laughs> or, oh, it's COVID. Yeah, it's COVID. Oh, it's COVID. Okay, cool. You know, but there's no... Uh, you know, and so they're, they're like, you know, you're going to avoid the conversations. You probably usually conflict type conversations that feel like conflict. Actually, it, it doesn't have to be conflict. It can literally be an exploration for how do we get here? Who contributed? Yeah. You know, like it doesn't have to be a bad news combo. It is it is actually could be a great news combo if you're if you manage it well as a leader. And by the way, if you want to learn to do that, go to frustratedfounder.com. Yeah, here it is. We just, I mean, that's that that's what that whole process is, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. The whole thing is about that. To ex to explore the breakdown. And the breakdown is when we were not where we thought we would be or what, how things should be. Yeah. And, and you know, remember, you don't have a breakdown. If you have a breakdown, then you have a vision. So yeah. if you thought you lost your vision, but you're experiencing a breakdown. No, you have a vision because the vision is the context in which breakdown shows up. Yeah. So, so like if I'm going from here to get out the door in five minutes or five seconds, all of a sudden the chairs and the tables between me and the door show up as a breakdown. But prior to that commitment, they were just fine. Right. It's, right. it's like it's, and I think a lot of people say, well, I don't have a vision, but they're talking about a breakdown. Well, no, you do. And that's part of what you may want to reevaluate. What is your vision? Is that really your vision? And is it what's it calling you to if it is like probably? calling you into the place you don't want to go. Yeah. You know, the old alchemic saying, do the thing you least want to do, do that first. Yeah. It, it actually makes me think about a funny story. It was maybe three weeks ago. Now, Allie, Allie and I and the kids were um, hiking and a place we're always hiking. We hiked on this trail a bunch. There's lots of different trails. And on this day, it was getting late and the kids were getting hungry. My kids are six and four. Kids were getting hungry. I'm starting to get anxious about the time. And anyway, we're making our way back. We we, we, we uh, lose the trail. We turned away that we'd never been before. We lose the trail. All of a sudden now, I you know, I'm the, I got to figure out what to do here. I figure out, at least in my mind, I say we can either go up or go down to get back to the trail. I can hear people down there. I think the road is up there. Let's go up. So we start going up. We start, we make our way up there. We're climbing this incline as about, I don't know, Chad would know for sure, uh, maybe a 60 degree incline and kind of gravelly and such. I was uncomfortable even on the incline, but I'm holding my four-year-old and we're climbing up and my six-year-old and Allie, they can make it on their own and she's behind him, make sure he makes it. And they make it to the top first, which I was upset about. Um, even, even though I'm carrying a 40-year-old child, I should be able to beat them. I didn't beat them. When they got to the top, Scout pointed out 
a, a, a beehive. And I just said, hey, back up, back up from the beehive. Give him some space. I'll be there in a second. We get to the top. I am panting. I'm hot. We're no, we're not to the road. That's all I know. We're not to the road. Now we're sitting there thinking, we're exploring where we're going to go next. All of a sudden that beehive gets active. We hear bzzz, bees everywhere around us. Allie rips her shirt off, freaks the kids out. She starts screaming. Now all of a sudden um, we're on a steep incline. I can't go up towards the bees. I'm going to go sideways and I'm carrying both children and I'm ripped off a limb and I'm swinging, swinging, you know, over my head to knock, to kill all these bees. And now we're in a moment that I'm frightened. I could actually hurt the children. If I don't calm myself down, I could hurt somebody, not forget the bees, me, if I'm not paying attention. And I'm, I'm yelling. I mean, I was going to say, I'm asking Allie, I'm actually saying, giving Allie direction about where to go next. <laughs> She's over there trying. And I'm like, you know, in freak out mode too, trying to keep myself calm. And the solution that she came up with was we need to go back down. And there was this, you know, this path essentially where we need to get, sit on like a slide and slide all the way back down, back to where we were, which I did not want to do. Um, but, but it's like that in the and you know, we made up, we all got stung by bees, but we're all fine. Um, but it's like it's like those types of moments when you're not where you think you're it's not happening like you think it should happen. And when your plan meets reality, your plan meets reality, you know text that I was quoting you yesterday, Dan, texting with a client, well, you know, nothing ruins a plan like reality. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, anyway, like, are we going to, I mean, I think you said it, you said it well earlier, Chad, you know, we're all at these moments. There's like many little crossroads during the day. There's big ones that we know we're in right now. And how are we going to be with ourselves is the main one question. How are we going to be with ourselves? Um, and then how are you going to be with your team? You know, and are you going to have space? I mean, I know for me, one of the challenges is as a leader, I I drink the Kool-Aid that there's some, so I should be above the challenge. Yeah. And reality is I'm usually experiencing the challenge much deeper than I'd like to let on. Oh, then I am the challenge, really. That's right. It yeah. starts between the ears. That's right. So if I'm, if I'm resisting the challenge... I'll, I mean, my best, my best days then as I just come off stoic, but I'm really out of touch, I think, to people around me when I come off stoic. I'm usually having a harder time than I'd like to talk about, but that's sometimes a great connection point. Like, hey, we're at a crossroads. I don't really know what to do yet. Yeah. It's a great invitation for other people to show up for you and with you in the process. We had that the other day we talked. Yep. So... I, I, you know, we're releasing some really powerful tools that fall right in line with everything that we're talking about. Right. This idea of leading in a time of crossroads and uh, what are the circumstances that you're dealing with? What's your vision? Um, and what do you do with the conflicted or may look like conflicted conversations that are inevitably going to come up? In fact, they're just part of the territory <laughs> again. Um, yeah. You know, so I love, Dan, as you talked about the table and chairs being in your way, they weren't in your way until you had a vision, right? And right. then once they were in the way, they're either um, a deterrent or feedback. Yeah, they're feedback. Yeah. About what is wanted and needed to get to the door. That's right. right. <laughs> That's all it is. Yeah, but if they're a deterrent, it's, you know, and they do show up initially as a deterrent. I mean, yeah. In my body, I notice that I usually tend to resist first. And then I, my resistance is like an ally saying, you know what? There's possibility here. You just don't like the way it's being presented. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, you know, so now I'm going to either I get connected with the reality of how it's being presented or I will end up having to face it again. You know, I repeat the same problem over again. You know, Groundhog's Day. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's an interesting thing I was thinking about. One of the things that doesn't help is, is what it requires is focus, right? What am I going to focus on? And the focus is on the door, not the chairs. But I must see the chairs in relationship to the door to get the potential, to get the feedback that opens up the, pot the possibilities of what it's going to take to get to the door as I'm committed to it in the time I said I would. 
Mm-hmm. But what a tendency is, is people tend, and I notice this when there's an issue, a problem, a breakdown, I notice myself and, and I think our natural tendency is to get to get so focused on the problem that we've lost sight of why we're involved in the problem. Like, what are we there for? It's like riding a bike. You know, I'm a road biker. And, and if you're riding a bike and there's a big cliff or you don't look over the cliff because the bike goes where you look. <laughs> and I don't know if you've had that experience with a kid. You know, see, don't run into that pole. Well, they start looking at the pole and pretty soon, bam, straight into the pole. Right. So the idea is to keep your eyes on where you want to go. And you deal with what's in front of you as it comes up. Right. But if I'm looking over the edge, I'm going over the edge with it. And, yeah. I, and, and I can feel my heart pounding because of the possibility of looking over the edge. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Like, yeah. So- I'm, I'm thinking about that and the, the example that, that came, to, came to mind earlier uh, around the shift in the terrain on a team when you're not where you want to be. Um, because if you, if you take that analogy and put it, and put it in that scenario, yeah. You know, it's a, a specific thing had come to mind where a client, they're in a budgetary process and somebody missed something and it cost them millions of dollars. Um, and there was the resistance to having the conversation about how we missed this. How yeah, do we miss? Yeah. How do we miss? How are we off in our decision making process that cost us three million dollars? It's a big deal. Yeah. Go ahead. Very different than who's wrong and all that. Now, somebody may need to be removed. I don't know. Right. But that's usually because of the way they respond to it, not because of what they did. And it could be because of what they did. But I mean, a lot of mistakes are can be handled or worked through if I'm willing to learn from them. But I think it's very easy to want to blame somebody because you, you're really not committed to get to the door. You just want to be right about why you didn't get there. That's right. And you're angry about the breakdown. You're angry yeah. about the breakdown. And then you want it to be about whose fault, who caused my anger, really, um, instead of what happened, how, do, like, what was missing, why, like, what were the series of probably the series of events, the series of series of things that happened or didn't happen, series of conversations that happened or didn't happen, series of like. Con, like way of approach thinking that happened or didn't happen. You know, there's lots of ways to actually get in there and, and understand the breakdown because the breakdown was definitely human because humans, you know, humans created it. And so, yeah, there's a, there's a relationship to the breakdown, right? Like right. what's wrong, bad or broken with it, them or me is usually where we tend to go, which is all about justifying why it didn't work. And if you justify why it didn't work, then you're just going to be right and do it over again and over again versus I wonder what we can learn from this to get to that, to get to the door. How do we take from this to get there? Yeah. And, and that's a, that takes some discipline because if somebody's at work because they just want to get by, they, they just, you know, then they're going to, the idea is to keep things the same. So even the breakdowns get communicated in a way that it stays the same versus if I want to get to the door, things can't remain the same. Yeah. Right. And right. as a leader, being able to identify those who have the courage to keep going and getting move off of where they are that's comfortable and move on to what's wanted and needed. Yeah. Those are the leaders, right? And if you don't get clear about who they are on your team, then you're, you're going to find yourself uh, convoluted in the problem and and probably slowing down the ability for the team to win individually and collectively. Yeah. And the, and the arguments would be about maintaining the status quo rather than about having the vision come into being. Yeah. Well, the phrase that comes to mind for me right now is, is what I would say, like productive upset. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like be upset because be upset about the results that are happening, but then pre- be productive about it. Be in the conversation in a way that actually pulls people forward because or or actually to your point really authentically for us it would be like be upset from your vision not from the breakdown like from your vision be upset because that'll actually um you know we don't talk about confession much in our culture these days but that's part of accounting being accountable is a confession and 
we like confessing, confessing great stuff. We don't naturally, as a human, we don't like confessing the bad stuff that we think makes us look bad and puts us at risk. And, uh, you know, it's just, that's natural to want to avoid that, especially in this scenario I'm talking about that has lots of zeros on it. Um, so, and even as a, I mean, part of this is even as a leader, your aversion um, to having some kind of honest confession will be cultural. You know, so like if you're not willing to confess, I mean, I'm, I'll, let me give a little color, I guess, on this example. The upset of the person I was talking to, he had signed off on something. And the fact that all this that and I said, well, how, how many people did it have to go through to get to you? And he had to walk all the way through this process of how many people had to not notice this breakdown before it got to him. And it's on him. He's the leader. Right. So he's responsible at the end of the day. And he was upset about it, but actually he wanted to not talk about it with the team because he didn't want to like throw people under the bus, all this vernacular we have these days to avoid conflict. Um, but you didn't have to throw people under the bus. You just had, hey, how did we miss this? Let's talk about it. How did we miss this? We can't afford another one of these. But left to himself, he didn't want to go explore it in a way that was open. It was more like, don't do it again, instead of how did we miss it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like what's what? Yeah. Well, yeah, how we missed it might be very complex. There might be a lot of different, you know. It, it's not just because of one thing, probably. It's it's probably sure many traditions that may need to be reinvented, you know, or thoughts or, you know, fears, you know, in a, you know, when you're in, we're living in more and more a cancel culture, right? That's becoming quite a big deal, and it's been around for a long time, not just in the culture, but like we were talking today about. It tends to be true in, in, in organizations that if you don't think along with the group, you're going to be canceled. The problem with that is, is that the very thinking that needs to be corrected or invented or reinvented or reimagined isn't going to be brought up for fear of being canceled. So it exists now underneath the surface and it's, it's sabotaging and influencing any possible transformation that's desired because it's, 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 going to be validating itself, but it's not going to do it overtly because it doesn't want to be canceled or cut out of the herd that they people want to be belong because of the security, et cetera, et cetera. And then what happens is it's it just frustrating and people, it gets very belligerent because things get stuck and then ultimately it falls apart and fails. Hmm. So, you know, that, that, and that's, we've seen that. You can see that in, in governments. You can see that in organizations where, you know, you're going to get in a lockstep rather than have an open learning conversation. And it's a big deal because, I mean, one of the tests I do every day is like, what conversations am I, have I been unwilling to hear and how can I go back and listen and understand what's there? Yeah, one of the principles that we explore on frustratedfounder.com is this idea that the person that can accurate, accurately describe what's actually going on is the one that will lead. Yeah, most likely, yeah. The, the, the one that's going to probably see the way. Yeah. And the one who's most flexible will always determine the outcome of the system. Hmm. Right? That's what another one most people don't realize. When you think about... Uh, and I'm not speaking this in a religious way, but you think about Jesus Christ, right? He was a very poor man. We know this about him. Uh, how could a guy who was just a carpenter living in, you know, in an age when, you know, caused so much upset because he was so flexible, right? In fact, we even to this day, we, you know, our history, our time, AD, BC, like that. I mean, there's so many influences from this one man who and and how flexible he was including you know his willingness to lose his life for his cause for his vision right so it's a pretty powerful um archetype for what it means to stand and lead because the one who's most flexible usually determines the direction of the system that they're involved in right mm -hmm. martin luther king's a great example of that mahatma gandhi right uh, you know, they're the most flexible. Yeah, Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass. Unbelievable, right? Yeah. Right? And think about the bigotry he had to come up against, and he was so flexible with it that he determined where it was going. Yeah. 
pretty powerful. Yeah, he and he, he, he was hated. He was hated on both sides. Both sides. For his commitment to the vision and being willing to call things the way they were. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And when you say flexible, Dan, I, I dig that point. I'm, I, at least maybe some color to that I think about is like there's certain things you're flexible about and certain things you aren't. Yeah. You right. I mean, I say flexible. flexible means more of a listening. Like, yeah. I can, like because what I'm not flexible yeah. about How's that? Like adaptive. Yeah, adaptive. Because you might, I might have a very, like you said, like this, there might be something I say I'm not going to do, but I may be called, I might look up and go, wow, uh, you know what? I'm willing to do that. You know, uh, because it's it's calling me into the vision, right? And it's interesting because I don't know if you've ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but, you know, he was this uh, kind of a martyr. He he uh, was involved in the. Uh, he basically was a Jewish man who came to you know in, in during World War II, uh, and basically was involved in the plot against Hitler's life. And he was a pacifist. And he writes about he had to come up come up to a point where he had to think about in this context. He after lots of thought and considering what he said he'd never do. This was the thing to do because to not do it would be cowardly. To not try to stop this maniac would have been cowardly. And, and, and that evil at some point may require violence to protect those, the innocent, right? And to read his book on that is really interesting. And he said something, he said, virtue is knowing when to break the rules. Hmm. That's crazy. Uh. That's flexibility, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like it doesn't mean like, it's not the it's not the norm; it's the exception. But do you know when to be there? That's what you know. That's really what what virtue is: is that I'm willing that there are contexts in which the thing I value most may actually be evil, may me hurt people more than doing what I thought I'd never do. I love I love this idea of uh, that definition of virtue. Um, again, I don't want to come across too pushy, but man, I'm so excited about what we're launching. Uh, FrustratedFounders.com. This is, I mean, this gives gives you so many avenues to access to some of the processes that we do with founders and CEOs and leaders, um, uh, and it helps you. It will help you get your mind around the territory. Uh, mm -hmm. one, the vision, like keeping the vision in mind, but also the territory and how do we get some elevation on it? Hug the cactus, get high. Like there's just so much that's there for you. So, uh, go check it out. We're really proud of it. Um, and would love to have you join us on that journey. Um, so anyway, thanks so much for this conversation, gentlemen. This has been fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, my, my, my charge to any listeners that are, uh, curious. I mean, it's, here's what I know I, for me is that uh, sometimes when I'm struggling, I, it's because I'm committed to the struggle and like it needs to be this hard. Like it ought to be this hard. Hey, you know, everybody. I mean, I want to drink the Kool-Aid of how everybody else is suffering. And so I keep myself in the suffering and in the frustration. And mm -hmm. part of all why we're doing this is to give people um, the, help people actually grab a hold of the possibility that, hey, I can actually be a part of the solution for the challenges that I'm facing today. And it doesn't have to be this hard. I can actually I need to see it in a new way so I can actually approach it in a new way and get some new results. So anyway, that's, that's, the, that's the invitation for folks is to be less committed to the struggle, be committed to the solution. We'll help you do that. Oh, that's, that's powerful, man. I'm that got me. I've definitely made up the story that this needs to be hard this time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, brother. I'm, I'm speaking myself, actually. That was that was for me. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got me. Well, spot <laughs> you got it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Bye, everybody. Thank you.
Well, friends of the podcast, thank you so much for joining us this week. If this podcast has helped you or entertained you at all, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. That'll help us reach more people and grow this community. Also, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing this podcast with the people in your life that are looking for a new way to lead and to relate to others. And finally, if you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad at takenewground.com. Thank you so much for joining us. and We'll meet you back here next week for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast. Thank you.